The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Dr. Craig Troxell. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. So this morning we will be looking at John chapter 1 verse 3, continuing in this series on the prologue to the Gospel of John, uh, where the author is showing us uh, who this is and how he is equipped uh, to to bring our salvation and to deliver and all the claims that he makes in in this Gospel. But we're going to go all the way back to verse 1 to give us a sense of the the context. So John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Let's pray. Gracious God and our Father, this morning we do ask that you would help us to focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he is, and all that he has accomplished and all that you have promised to us through him. Bless us then in this, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, since last week, uh, since I mentioned uh, vampires and zombies, it only seems appropriate for me to complete the trifecta and talk about Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein was the very first novel I ever read. And in fact, I didn't realize at the time, I was 17 or 18 years old, that its author was 18 when she wrote that book, based upon a dare uh, on the shores of Lake Geneva. It's an interesting uh, tale. It was not what I thought it was going to be. Um, But some think it's credible to suppose that uh, what she is doing in this book is she is targeting the arrogance of science. And in fact, there were efforts in her day to reanimate corpses by the use of electricity, Um, and that she's taking a shot at these scientists making these bold claims and seeking a very, very radical idea here of somebody who could actually think they could create life or at least reanimate something that was dead. And in fact, some think that her character, Frankenstein, is actually uh, sort of mocking Ben Franklin. That's where the word comes from in his use of electricity. She's actually going after uh, an American. Anyway... There's something interesting about this, though, isn't there? That somebody who could claim to create life or to bring life uh, from death, that would be a bold claim. Uh, Somebody who could be so arrogant as something only God can do. But hold on to that thought. And that's what our author is telling us this morning. Again, he's not yet identified who this is, but he, he says something about his identity and what he's capable of. And he says that all things were made through him. But we have to stop there first and say all things were made. Uh, That is a reminder in itself of the fact that it's God who made the world and everything in it. In fact, those those beginning words, in the beginning, is meant to take us back to Genesis 1, is it not? And to remind us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth to remind us what all Scripture tells us, the Psalms, the prophets, uh, the, the Gospels, the Epistles, the book of Revelation, Uh, that it is the Lord who made all things. He did not need any help. He did not need anything. He did not need anyone. He did this himself. And as Psalm 96 tells us, this is the very thing that distinguishes the living and the true God 
from all the false gods of the nations, all those idols. The Lord makes. False gods are made. And this is an issue of faith for us, as Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's foundational to our faith, the identity of who God is and what he can do. So John 1.3 is calling us to confess about the word what we also confess about God as creator, to join with the rest of creation and to exalt him through whom all things were made. And so verses 1 and 2 speak to us about Christ as eternal, that when all things came into being, the word already was, already giving a hint of verse 3, of Christ as creator, that all things came into being through him. And so we should adore him appropriately. But there's something interesting here in the way which Scripture reveals uh, the word to us, just even this title of the word, because it reminds us of something very important of God. And when God revealed his power in creation and the way in which he revealed that power when he created, very simply, he spoke a word and it happened. That's what we read in Genesis 1, let there be light. And the light appeared. Let there be expanse. Let there be water. Let us make man. And all these things appeared. And scripture seems very keen on underlining this again and again, like in Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. He spoke and it came to be. In 2 Peter 3, 5, the earth was formed by the word of God. And again, Hebrews 11, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God of God. To speak a mere word is the expression of God's power. But scripture is also clear about this, that to speak a word of creation is not too difficult for God or for the word. Remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis 11? He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? But what what does it literally say there in Genesis 18? It says this, is any word too wonderful? For the Lord, ostensibly to speak? Is there any promise that God can make that he cannot keep? Is there anything too sublime for him to, to suggest that he cannot fulfill? That's what's being said here. Is there anything too difficult for God to, to say or any promises too difficult for him to keep? And the same is truth of the word, that this is the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the one who can bring forth life from nothing. So we're gaining in our understanding here about who this word is and what the, the word is capable of. It prepares us for what he will say in this gospel, what he will claim. But we need to remind ourselves, too, something else. Why did the, why did the word come? The reason the word came to this world was to reveal God. Verse 18 tells us that in this chapter. To speak for God. To speak as God. God had spoken before. but He never spoken like this. God had revealed himself before, but never like this. God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, but in his last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And as we think of the ministry of Christ, what is it? It is the divine outpouring of power through mere spoken words. In John 2, Christ gives a few uh, simple instructions. And what happens? The water turns into wine, and he revealed his glory through a spoken word. 
in John 6. Christ gives thanks, giving over bread. It multiplies and feeds thousands of people. In Matthew 17, Jesus rebukes a demon that comes out, and that young boy is healed instantly. In John 4, Christ says something similar to an official whose son is dying. He says, go, your, your son will be fine. And he is, he's healed. In Mark 4, he rebukes the wind. He says, peace and be still. And the wind ceased and there was calm. Or in John 11, Lazarus, come out. And life rises out of the rags of death. That is the ministry of the word, merely speaking. And it happens, claiming the impossible. And it happens. And ever since creation, what is Christ doing? Hebrews tells us he continues to sustain all things by the word of his power. He brought forth all these things out of nothing, and he continues to energize them and to keep them and to superintend them. That is all helpful information for us as we consider uh, what is claimed here, though, because it does not simply talk about creation. Notice what the text says is all things were made through him. All things. That's not just creation. That also involves the new creation. See, we have to remind ourselves of the story of redemption. We, we think of sin and how quickly sin came into this world and how that sin spread to all of creation through Adam and Eve's disobedience. And after creation, you remember, God had to address that sin. And he spoke another word, a curse. We could even say a curse word. And ever since that moment, all the descendants of Adam and Eve strain under the weight of that word of judgment. All creation groans as that curse of sin presses down upon it so that we read in Romans 8, the heavens and the earth long to be delivered. All humanity aches for a better word. But who can speak it? Who will say it? Who can overturn this dark sentence that comes from heaven? Who is equipped to annul that, that judgment? But that's why Christ came, to deliver us from sin by bringing a better word. So that what was made by a word of power and then unmade by a word of curse would be remade by the word become flesh. What's interesting is that the bedrock of all of our all the work of the new creation, the bedrock of our salvation, is in what God has said. The same God who spoke the world into existence, he has spoken a final word about our salvation. He says, I forgive you, I accept you. That's his promise to all those who cast themselves upon Jesus Christ. He could not be more clear about what he has said. But the problem is there are those other voices that we hear. That sin of your heart that whispers that provocative question, do you really think God's power is greater than this sin that you continue to struggle with? Or the world that mocks us and says, do you really think you can know the truth from a book that is so old and so irrelevant? Those sorrows those hardships that you and I undergo, some of them secretly that tap into that rich vein of our insecurities and our fear and our shame that bring into question whether or not we are convinced we are saved. 
in those struggles that throw shade on God's truth and his promises and his faithfulness. But what has God said? He has declared that the obedience of his son has fulfilled all righteousness. And he has said the death of his son has satisfied all the debt of our sin. And he has said that his son's resurrection has guaranteed and sealed to us our justification and eternal life. This is what he has said. You see, what does the cross, just for example, show us? It shows us that the Father cannot ignore our sin in all that it deserves. But the cross also shows us that he cannot ignore such a sacrifice of Christ and all that it deserves. It shows us that God cannot deny his righteous character, but so also he cannot deny the righteous merit of his son. It shows us he cannot let sin go unpunished, but it also shows us he cannot let such a sacrifice go unrewarded. That's the beauty of the cross and what, and what he says the cross is worth, that he did not withhold any of his wrath that he poured out upon his son. So also he does not withhold from us any of the blessings that his son has earned for us. This is what he has said. And he says, it is done. There's nothing more that needs to be satisfied. Be at peace. There's nothing more that needs to be accomplished or earned. And he says, there's nothing more that needs to be said. This is not a mere word. It is a sure word. It is the final word when it comes to our salvation. And if God is for us, then whose word is going to stand against us? That's the point of Romans 8. Who will bring any charge against us when it's God himself who declares that we are justified? Who's going to condemn us when it's Christ who has died and more than that is risen to the right hand of God? And there he is as our advocate so that when the accuser comes and slanders, it is Christ who's there to speak that word back to him in defense of our justification. Our confidence should be in what God says, what God has promised and what the word has accomplished through his power and through his grace. Because our God never speaks in vain. He never speaks without revealing his power. And he says his word that goes out from his mouth, it doesn't return to him empty. It succeeds in its mission. It accomplishes its errand. So who is going to stand in the way of this promise of salvation? Who is going to undo this, this love? Who is going to question this power? Who is going to overturn what God has said? This is a God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. And that's true for creation. That's true for the new creation. This is a God who calls forth light out of darkness and life from death. He calls forth his righteous ones out of the condemnation of their sin. There is no promise that is too hard for this God to keep. There is no word too wonderful for him to speak. There is no sinner too hardened or too lost or too far away that he cannot rescue. Brothers and sisters, some of you need to stop listening to the wrong voices and listen to the truth. Listen to this one who speaks for God. Listen to the word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for the many ways in which you continue to endear yourself to us and your Son to our hearts and your promises 
to our doubting hearts. We thank you, Father, for these things and for your word declaring that Christ, the eternal Son of God, is not merely the creator of all things, but he is the agent of the new creation and its guarantee. And so again, we cast ourselves upon Christ and all that he is and all that he has done and all that you have promised through him. We thank you for this, to the praise of our exalted Lord, and in his name we pray. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California, 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.